You're listening. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to the Learning Futures. The podcast. Learning Futures. The podcast. Learning Futures podcast. You're listening to the Learning Futures podcast. Hello, listeners. This is Claire Gilbert, executive producer for the Learning Futures podcast. I'm joined by my fellow executive producer, Dr. Sean Leahy. Hey, that's me. Glad to be here. And our producer, Dr. Clarin Collins. Hello. And you might notice there's, I mean, someone's missing from this, right? Ron? Ron? Are you there, Ron? Oh, yeah, that's right. Our host, Ron. So don't tell him. But, you know, we thought in between as sort of a interstitial, if you will, of season one and season two, that we'd have a brief recap, kind of talk a little bit from behind the scenes, you know, how season one went and what we're excited and looking forward to with season two. But before we get to the season recap, let's hear a highlight clip of season one. Rolling. What if it's not like a teacher supply problem, but rather a workforce design problem? Schools have to go back to a notion of community schools. Uh, Schools that are interested in raising their test scores are not really pleasant places for people all the time. A good possible future is one that recognizes adolescents as living, breathing, social human beings with with very diverse identities. The future that I am always most hopeful for is one where we see students really as partners on whatever it is that we're building together. For formal administrators, people who hold positions of power, to see parents, uh, and and particularly parents from marginalized communities, as potential leaders, change makers, and advocates that they can partner with and work with to make schools better. So here I am, a person who comes from a mother who had one year of like elementary school, a grandmother who never learned how to read and write, and yet, I'm bringing a lot of their understanding to help teachers reach more students. If we all look at ourselves as collaborative designers, working in spaces that we can influence in ways small and big, I think that could have the potential uh, for really transforming how we think about education and learning and you know children and their development and so on. It's okay that we don't know the answers. We really have to take that collective step back community steps, state level, country level, world level, and kind of look at this from many different perspectives. Uh, Schools that are interested in making sure their community works well, those are the kind of schools and the kind of teachers I, I would like to see. The world has changed dramatically and we don't need kids to learn to do what our phones and our computers can do, but that's still how we teach maths. We could learn a lot from the teachers of English and the teachers of humanities subjects about how to teach maths well. We have an educational system based on passive regurgitation of reading, writing, and arithmetic. It's a 19th and 20th century model that was built for educating a very different workforce than the kind of workforce we need today. We're not just trying to figure out, oh, how can we get more teachers into uh, essentially what's a leaky bucket, but how can we actually just change the bucket so that it doesn't have a hole in it? And we're back. I mean, hey, I I mean, I know we're a little biased since we produced and created this podcast, but I thought that was really great to listen to just that sort of real fast uh, run through of some of the highlights from our guests from from season one. So, you know, I think one thing that'd be interesting for us to, especially since, 
you know, it's just a, a rare opportunity for the three of us to actually be on mic for this time. I, I would be curious um, just to kind of hear from, you know, let, I'll start with Clarin. I'll, I'll pass to you for a second as the, well, the producer. So not only were you, you know, in charge of and working with, you know, who would be on the show and working with them and kind of making those arrangements and all those things, you also sat in on most of the interviews while they were taking place. Um, and then, of course, you know, we can hear them as they're published. But what were some of your highlights from season one or what are the things that maybe you want to draw our listener uh, their attention to um, the most? I think what I really appreciated about this opportunity is that while my role was to kind of find people who do work in different areas of education, I was really interested in hearing like the personal side of people's journeys and how they arrived to do what they do today or what happened that impacted them or led them down certain pathways. And so while we sitting around this podcast right now might be interested in more of the academic or research side of things, I was really impressed with how personable it was, how relatable it was, and just feeling like we got to know who these people were much more than only talk about their work. So that was like a very pleasant, unintended benefit of this podcast that I enjoyed. Claire, I'm curious from your perspective, I know you were you know, in the thick of it all the time as well, getting capturing um, the audio, even just from a logistical side, right? Making sure things are going. But then, of course, you know, you have the benefit as being, you know, one of the technical producers on the show, listening to people's voices over and over and over again uh, as we're sort of, you know, producing and, and editing the show. Um, any any major highlights or things that stood out to you, either from a either guest perspective or maybe even just, you know, from a technological or, or production standpoint? Absolutely. I definitely learned a lot this last season. Um, usually I'm very comfortable being in the same room with people and dealing with their microphones and whatever technical difficulties come up. But obviously in the middle of a pandemic, you cannot do that. So it was really tricky figuring out how to do, you know, mic checks and, and tech setup and all of this stuff uh, virtually and long distance and making sure that everybody sounded really good. But everybody was, I think, really excited to be a guest on a podcast. So things always went smoothly. Um, so I learned a lot and it was a pretty fun experience. I do kind of miss, you know, leaning over and adjusting people's microphones for them, but I've learned. <laughs> That's true. And I think, you know, just to build on that, you know, from from my perspective too, I think one of the uh, a major, you know, sort of unsung accomplishment uh, of season one was just getting it produced, you know, during a global pandemic, um, not being able to have anyone in the room, you know, equipment across the board is, is always a concern. Had this been prior to the pandemic, these sort of interviews for most of the, at least on, you know, our side of things would have been done in person. Yeah. I mean, making these connections with guests, making sure that their equipment, not knowing what that was, whether it's a pair of earbuds or a more professional setup, um, what have you. I mean, we discovered a couple of times along the way that people had microphones facing the wrong direction and things like that. And, you know, all kinds of just little tiny technical things that, you know, might not sound like a big deal, but when you're actually going through these recordings can be a, a major headache or, or obstacle that needs to get sorted. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to season two, actually. And production is underway. And I feel like everything is already going so much smoother just because we've ironed out all of those kinks. And then in terms of like the editing process, we have a really good system in place for, you know, making sure that everything is high quality and that um, we're releasing the best stuff. So it's exciting. And I would just add that, you know, Ron is just such an engaging host of this podcast. And I think as again, the role that I take on of trying to find and invite guests to to participate or be on the show. Yes, I'm still looking for people who are doing education research in unique 
in different um, spaces and disciplines. But I don't have that fear anymore. Of, oh, we had someone who was already talking about early childhood, or we already had someone who was talking about math, because Ron draws out so much of the individual. And as we all know, every individual has a different story, different path of how they arrived at where they are. I've just really enjoyed listening to the conversations and hearing the questions that Ron and the guests pose to each other and just the dialogue. It's just very engaging and much more than, you know, you might anticipate from reading a title. Every episode has something that people can easily relate to, identify with, and it's just most engaging and I really enjoy it. We also chatted with another one of our producers, Karina. I know, I know. You're like, Claire, how many producers does it take to make a podcast? Well, a lot, actually. In addition to being one of the show's producers, Karina is also a Fulbright scholar, pursuing a Master of Science degree in Education Sciences. She shared her favorite part of season one with us, so take a listen. My favorite part was getting to meet all of these amazing people, the guests that we had on the podcast, especially because it was my first semester of my master's degree in the learning sciences at ASU. So I really enjoyed getting to meet everyone and listening to the conversations of people who have had amazing careers in education. And that was the most special and amazing part for me. Thanks, Karina. Let's let's turn our attention to season two. Like, how much can we share? No, we've had some really fun interviews. I was laughing in one of them because our guest, Megan Workman Larson, she has a background in both robotics and opera singing. And I laughed at one point. It's a good thing that I was muted because um, Ron, in going back to her background, said, so I understand in your background, you're an opera singer and robot <laughs> into robotics. And I, it just made me laugh because it made it sound like he called her a, a robot that sang opera. Which, hey, that's a, perhaps that's a glimpse of the future. Clarin, I'm curious, are there any guests this season that you'd like to highlight? Sure. Well, we are almost halfway through recording season two, and um, I'd like to share just a couple guests we've had so far. We had Adam Carberry, who's an associate professor at the Polytechnic School at ASU, who also serves as a graduate program chair for the Engineering Education Systems and Design. Uh, Laura McBain was on recently. She's the K-12 Lab Director of Community and Implementation at Stanford's D School. And also Ariel Anbar, who is a president's professor at ASU in the School of Earth and Space Exploration and School of Molecular Sciences. I think it's awesome. I mean, this is this is what I think is so cool. Season one was awesome. It was we had a tremendous panel um, of guests that got us up and running. And what I'm really excited about heading into season two is that that not only are we just continuing that, that we're starting to up the ante and we're really starting to look um, for just um, amazing people to talk to. And I think that's what's really cool. And and hopefully the more we do these, the more people will uh, become aware of and have introductions to. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to just continuing to create these, these awesome experiences where we get to hear, learn, and talk to some really fascinating people. Sean Clarin and I are looking forward to season two, and we can't wait for all of you guys to hear what's coming. That's a wrap.